happy to be up here again preaching the Word of God. And I will tell you up front, the message is be content. And I've been kind of choosing some topics that are important to me. So if today at some point you feel like, has he been like listening to my phone conversations? Has he, he's, has he been hiding out in the bushes and he like knows what's going on in my life? If, if for some reason you feel that way today, that's the Holy Spirit, okay? Because I'm preaching this message for me, all right? I need to be content, okay? This is for me. This is what the Word says. But you know what? If it, if it applies to you, um, I think that's the, the Word of God. It, it does that. Sound good? All right. So I played a lot of basketball growing up, and my high school basketball coach was influential in helping me earn a scholarship to play at the college level. And so when I went away to college my first year, I was excited but a little nervous about playing on a new team and a new challenge. And he sent me a letter back when you actually sent letters. Like he hand wrote a letter and mailed it with a stamp and all. You know, that happens still. So I got this letter from my old coach. It was very meaningful to me. And, and I don't remember a lot of what he said in the letter, but I do remember the last three words. The last three words he wrote were, P.S., don't be satisfied. And I took that internally and kind of made that sort of a mantra, if you will, of, of my um, goal in, in college basketball was not to be satisfied, to, to be my very best. And the college coaches that I played for, they kind of said the same thing, don't be satisfied. Strive to play the perfect game. And I think that is ultimately the mantra of elite athletes. Anyone who wants to be the best at their sport or maybe even their job or their career or whatever is to not be satisfied. Anybody ever hear that before? Ever, anybody ever think that in their minds? Like, okay, don't be satisfied. You can always do better, right? Like that's kind of what we're hearing. And that, that, that's good for motivating you to kind of achieve your goals but that can have some side effects when it comes to other things in your life. For example, if your spouse makes you a nice dinner and asks how you like it, and your response is, it's pretty good, it's not perfect, but I'm sure you'll do better next time. There might not be a next time. If your child finally cleans their room, and they're proud of it, and they show you, look, look, look what I did. And your response is, it's pretty good. It's not perfect. I'm sure you'll do better next time. Well, you just sent a message that they're never going to be good enough. And that's not the message you want to send. If you personally achieve a personal victory, something that's really important to you, and you finally do it, and your response to yourself is, it's pretty good. It's not perfect. I'm sure I can do better next time. Well, you have a problem, but you're not alone, because I have the same problem, and I know a lot of us do. When's it going to be good enough? When will we not need to be just a little bit better next time? When will we be content? See, this message has one main point. If you want to be content, then you have to give thanks. If you want to be content, you have to give thanks to God. That's the key to being content, to give thanks 
to God. So you are perfectly happy, which is what we want to be. In 1 Thessalonians 5.18, Paul tells the church, give thanks in all circumstances. I love this. Just settle on, just think about that. Just let that be your mantra, if you will. Give thanks in all circumstances. Everything that's going on in your life. And guess what? That means good and bad. Give thanks in all circumstances. Give thanks. Give thanks to God. Thank you, God. What? I got, I got rear-ended? How am I going to give thanks for that? Give thanks to God in all circumstances. Because it's his will for you. Think about that. It's his will for you. His will in Christ Jesus for you. Let's just take a moment and pray. Father, as John shared with us this morning, oftentimes we come into your house, we come into your place. We come together as the body of Christ, and our minds are everywhere but where they need to be. This morning, God, help us to focus on your word. Help us to hear what you want us to hear. God, help us to just not be distracted. Lord, give us this contentment that we so desperately desire. Allow us to give thanks to you. In Jesus' name, amen. I know you've heard this saying before, money can't buy happiness. And love, I did hear that. But that's because you saw the movie. Man, money can't buy happiness. And actually, I have proof that that's true. According to the surveys and the uh, polls that they do, um, we're going to talk about America a little bit. Americans have more money than any other country in the world. I looked that up, by the way. Mer- Americans have more money than any country in the world by threefold. Threefold in, in, in terms of the second place country is China, but we have three times more than they do. So we have more money than anybody else does in the world, but get this, in another poll it says that Americans are the most unhappy people on the planet. No one is more unhappy than Americans. There you have it. In fact, one poll said that 14% of people, only 14% of people in America said they were very happy with life. That's abysmal, isn't it? In fact, Here's one that'll shock you, maybe not. Antidepressant use in the last decade in America is up 400%. Americans are sad, depressed, unhappy. And oh, by the way, we're PO'd about everything. If you don't agree or you don't think I'm, I'm serious, just ask any one of these questions at your next family barbecue. What do you think of our current president? How do you feel our governor's doing? Who's responsible for these high gas prices? How are you going to vote this November on the issue of abortion? Do you think black lives matter? How do you feel about equal rights for homosexuals? Any one of those questions will do for getting you kicked out of the next family barbecue. Banned. I think it's safe to say that the evil one He's referred to as the prince of this world, the devil. He's doing a fine job of finding ways to divide Americans. 
to keep us dissatisfied, disappointed. And by the way, Jesus said he's here to steal, kill, and destroy. So he doesn't want you to be content. To be content would totally disappoint the devil. America declared its independence, and they stated, we stated these unalienable rights. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. But sadly, in this country, the pursuit of happiness has turned into the pursuit of money. The surveys indicate that that doesn't work. <laughs> if you go after the money, it doesn't make you happy. That's what the typical American does. But you don't have to be the typical American. And maybe money's not an issue for you. Maybe I'm just like, oh, man, I, I don't have a problem with that. Um, maybe you're, you're unhappy with something else in your life. Maybe there's something else going on that you're not satisfied. Maybe it's your house that you live in. Maybe it's the car you drive or the job that you have. Maybe it's your spouse. Maybe it's your kids. Maybe it's your friends. I know it's not your pastor. I won't even ask. I get it. You're totally satisfied with them. But what are you dissatisfied with? What, what is it that's stealing your joy? You see, that's kind of the first step. You need to identify what it is. You know, I, I, I never forget the one question that I um, hated as a math teacher. I taught math for 16 years in high school. And um, I would say, you know, how are we doing? You know, when I was explaining a topic, and they would say, I don't get it. And, and, and I'm saying, I, what don't you get? Like, what problem? I, I need, I need one, I identify the problem that you don't get. I, surely you get something. <laughs> What's the one thing you don't get? Give me one thing and we can start on that. And that's what you need to do. You need to find out that what, what, what is it that's really stealing your joy? What is it that you're not happy with, that you're not content with? What is it? So once you identify what it is, that's good. But man, don't spend the rest of your life complaining about it. Drill down and find out why. And that takes bravery. It takes courage. It takes time. Why? And I want to be honest with you. When, when you ask why, you're going to have to look in the mirror. Because so many times people are unhappy with something or someone in their life, and they want to say that they're the problem. They're the problem. But when you look in the mirror, you realize they're not the problem. They might be part of it, but they're not the problem. It's you. And we don't want to hear that. We don't, we don't want to think about that. So why? Why are you not happy with your spouse or your house or your job or whatever it is? And here's a good question to ask if you want to really drill down and find out why. What is the core need in your life that's missing? We have core needs in our life. What are they? What's missing there? What, what, what didn't I get growing up? One of the best books I've ever read is Fathered by God. The stages of life we go through as men. What did I not get growing up? In my, in my, you know, what, did, what did I miss? What's the core need there? Why am I doing what I'm doing? Why am I not happy? Was it a core need that's missing? Why um, could be what, 
what sinful desire that you keep the flesh. We keep trying to feed the flesh to make us happy, right? That's the pro- we saw that in Galatians 5 and the fruit of the Spirit a couple weeks ago. What, what is this, this sinful thing in me that, that keeps coming up, coming up, that I'm trying to feed and trying to satisfy, and it's not happening? Why? Find out why. What, what expectations are that you have of, of whatever is totally unrealistic? Maybe you're not happy with you know, your spouse and you have these expectations of them and they're not realistic. You've got to find out why. you really got to get down there and, and, and dig it out because if you don't, you're just going to end up complaining about it. And you'll go to whoever will listen and, and you'll bend their ear and complain and complain and complain. And when they get tired of hearing you complain, you'll go to somebody else. But if you drill down and find out why, now we can begin to heal. We can begin the process of being content. When the Bible talks about being content, because when I have a problem, my solution is always to go to the Word. And that's what I try to teach you. That's what God has called me to do, is to preach the Word, because when we have issues in life, the Word, God's Word, he, he, it brings healing. It brings solutions. And so in the Word, if you, if you were to do a, a topical study on, the, on this word contentment, like how to be content in life, which many times we think of as how to be happy, they usually talk about money. There's lots of references of being content in reference to money. And I think it's kind of, I think it's comforting because the first century Christians had a problem with money, and I don't think it's changed today, do you? I think we still have issues with how we treat money, how we treat others in contentment. So this is great. We can go to the Word. It's timeless when it comes to our response. And so here we are looking at the Word today for the answer, how to be content. And I think it's important that we start with our children because our children are important to us. Our grandchildren, our nieces, our nephews, our children in the church are important. And we have to teach them what God's Word teaches us about money and contentment, how to be content. And it, it, it explains it to us. I have, we have two teenagers, 14 and 17. They're helping in children's church this morning. So, it's probably a good thing because I'm going to make fun of them right now and they can't hear me. So. And they don't watch Facebook, so they, they won't see this. But, but our two teenagers like to spend money. You might have a couple of your own. Um, not their money, <laughs> their parents' money. That's the money they like to spend. Um, they run through money like Forrest Gump. <laughs> they just keep running and running and running. And, and I find that when teenagers buy stuff, the thrill doesn't last very long. It doesn't. It's like, okay, they got something new. They had to have it. And, and they got it finally. And, and, and they use it for a little while. And then it's, I find it, you know, in the wrong spot, on the floor, you know, in the, you know, I forgot it, you know. And they just want the next thing, and the next thing, and the next thing. And they're never satisfied. And this isn't just about teenagers, this is kids in general. All kids do this, and if you, 
if you're kind of having a hard time grasping this, let me give you like the snapshot of it, the perfect snapshot, Christmas morning. Christmas morning. The little kid opens up his present. He identifies it. Wow! <laughs> give me another one. Wow! Give me another one, right? This is the fast-forwarded version of what we do in life with stuff. We get it, and we get excited, and we, that's how American kids grow up. It's no wonder we're not satisfied when we're adults. Because we don't understand how to be content. And if you look at your own childhood, if at any point you felt like, man, my childhood, I, I was deprived. Your family didn't have a lot of money. I mean, for the most part, my mom raised us three. We didn't have a lot of money. I didn't get that back then, but I get it now. You know, but you probably had that one kid at the lunch table that bragged he got a cell phone in his stocking. I got practical stuff in the stocking. Socks, underwear. One time I got an orange. An orange. Mom, I love you. She's here, you know. But an orange? I think she was just trying to fill it out, make it heavy, and get excited. But if you didn't get what you thought you should have gotten as a kid, you might overdo it with your kids now, but what are you teaching them? Think about that. What are you teaching them? Because they're never going to be satisfied with things. We live in a country that constantly sends this message. You can have it all. You should have it all. You deserve it all. But guess what? You can't afford it all. 44% of Americans in the age group of 18 to 34 feel like they're drowning in debt. If that doesn't break your heart, the next generation, adult 18 to 34, almost one in two say they're drowning in debt. They got really excited when that credit card application came in the mail, and they filled it out, and they actually sent them a plastic credit card that they could accrue debt on. And the average American is $6,000 in credit card debt. That means every month you're sending $50 to $100 to a bank that doesn't care anything about you. They're just making money off of you. And you're wasting $50 to $100 every month if your average debt is $6,000. And I've been there. I understand. It stinks. I felt so guilty when I had credit card debt. I hated living. Every time you buy something, you feel guilty because you have credit card debt. The proverb says, the borrower is a slave to the lender. Think about that. And I don't want anyone in our church to be a slave to the lender, the bank. I don't want our kids to grow up taking on debt because they want it now. They think they deserve it now. They don't understand how to be content. So how do we help our kids? How do we help ourselves? How do we be content? Here's the thing. Be content is not something that you actively do. It's what happens to you. I ain't so good at English. All right, I'd be better at math. That was a joke, but... That wasn't proper English. Here's what I know about be content. It's a passive verb. 
it happens to you. You have to take a different action to be content. You can't be content. It has to happen to you. You have to do something else to be content. Here's what you can do. Hebrews 13.5. The book of Hebrews, chapter 13, verse 5. The writer says, Keep your life free from the love of money. Be content with what you have. For God says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So what's the action we take? Love what you already have. Love what you already have. Give thanks for what God has already provided. Mainly that he's there for you whenever you need him. You're in trouble? Stop and pray. He's there for you. Open up your body. He's there for you. Give thanks in all circumstances. If you want to be content, what do you do? Give thanks to God. Give thanks. Paul says this in, in 1 Timothy chapter 6. There's a few verses there. Mark, down, mark that Bible verse in, in your Bible so you don't forget it, Hebrews 13.5. But in 1 Timothy 6, along the same lines here, it says that people who are depraved in mind and depraved of the truth, imagine that godliness is a means to financial gain. The word is just gain, but it it means financial gain. Paul says, godliness with contentment, now that's gain. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Because we brought nothing into the world, we can't take anything out of the world, If we have the food and the clothing, we'll be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into a temptation, into a snare, and into many senseless and harmful desires that will plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. It's through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith, and they've pierced themselves with many pangs. This instructs us here, the Bible tells us here, God tells us to give thanks for all the basics that we have, the food and the clothing. Jesus confirms this, he says in Matthew 6 on the Sermon on the Mount, don't be anxious about food or drink or clothes or any of that stuff. You know the verse, don't be anxious, because when you're a person who gets anxious, you read those verses and you hate them. (laughs) Don't be anxious, okay? Because again, it's passive, you are anxious. So what do you do to not be anxious? Here's what you do, verse 33. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all the things you really need, he'll give to you. Because godliness with contentment is great gain. Money's not the problem. It's the love of money that is. And it leads to all kinds of evil. Personally, I think the greatest evil that comes from loving money is the selfishness that it, that it becomes in you. Like, you become more selfish. If you really love money, you just, you just, you don't, you don't, you're not generous. You're not a generous person if you love money. That, it just makes you more selfish. And the truth is, we don't really need help making us more selfish, do we? No. In fact, we're battling that all the time. 
But yet, if we love money, then we're just more selfish. We're not generous people. And anyone who gives away money, but they still love money, when they give it to you, there's always strings attached, isn't there? There's always strings attached. I never heard of a person donating a wing on a hospital or a university and saying, no, that's okay, you don't have to put my name on the building. I don't want anybody to know. No, they want their name on the building. Christians are called to give cheerfully, not because God needs your money, but because he wants you to be a good manager of his money. He wants you to invest in his kingdom in 2 Corinthians 9. Paul points this out to the church. There's a principle at work. Whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. If you sow bountifully, you'll reap bountifully. Each one must give as he's decided in his heart. Not reluctantly or under compulsion. God wants you to be a cheerful giver. And this is the best part. God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency, but that, that word sufficiency is really the word, what happened to the word sufficiency? The word sufficiency is really the word contentment. Contentment. That's the word. It can be translated contentment. God is able to make all grace abound to you, and you'll be content in all things at all times, so you may abound in every good work. What God is saying to you is the more you give, the more he blesses you with contentment. I know that doesn't preach in the prosperity churches. The prosperity gospel, you might have heard of them, where they preach, sow the seed. If you invest $100 today, God will give you $1,000 tomorrow. I don't preach that because it's not truth. It's a lie. It says right here in the verse they use. They're just misinterpreting the verse. It actually says here that the more you give, the more he blesses you with grace, with contentment. And that's ultimately what you want. You don't want another, you don't want more money. You want contentment. That's the whole reason you're after this. You should be after it. It's because you want contentment. You want peace in your life. I'd say it's the reason why I never play the lotto. But every once in a while, you know, it got to be 1.1 billion. I had to buy one ticket. You know, I felt out. But I, honestly, I don't even want to buy. I don't even get into that because it would be more trouble. I think about the trouble it would come with having that kind of wealth. There's a proverb, and I forget which one it is, but it's like, don't give me too much that I forget about you, God. Don't give me too little that I steal. Give me just enough. And that's what I think. That's how I, how I live. Because it will be content. And, and when you give generously, when you're a cheerful giver, I've said this before, God has a much bigger shovel than you. You can shovel it out, but God will shovel it in way faster than you can shovel it out. When you live this out, when you, when you give faithfully and cheerfully, you can truly be content. And I think that when, how we give thanks to God, one of the ways we give thanks to God is by giving cheerfully. 
it, it's a mindset. It really truly is. It's, it's a mindset. It's, it's, what, it's the conversation that goes on in our head to give thanks. But it's also an action that we take. When we give cheerfully, we're saying thank you, God. Thankfully. Thank you for giving me all of this. And as a, 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 to honor you, I'm going to give you first fruits. I'm going to give you the first 10% and more tithes and offerings because it came from you. And I'm investing in his kingdom. That's what, what he wants us to do. And God never says you can't have better. God never says you can't have the best. He just doesn't want you to love it more than him. If you want the top-of-the-line motorcycle, get the top-of-the-line motorcycle. You want the best boat out there, get the best boat out there. The best car, whatever. God doesn't say you can't do that. He just doesn't want you to love it more than you love him. He always wants your number one love. Your number one, all your attention. Thanking him will will allow you to be content. And I want to finish a little bit here with this thought here, how do you know you're truly content? Like, truly content. How do you know you've, I'm going to say arrived, but you know, how do you know you're, you're, you're kind of there? Well, Paul, the Apostle Paul, he bragged. He bragged about his weakness. He bragged about it. Can you do that? Can you brag about your weakness? He had extraordinary revelations about God. A super apostle, if you will. But God gave him a thorn in the flesh, as he called it. Some kind of ailment in his life. Some believe it was poor eyesight, but it caused him a lot of pain. Not only probably physical, but probably mental. And it just wouldn't go away, and it didn't go away. And he pleaded with God to take it away. God said no. God said, no. Imagine that. You ask God to take something away, and he says, no. You can't always have what you want, my child. Boy, I'm convinced there's a lot of people that turn their back on God because they pray and they ask God for what they want, and God says, no. I don't want you to have that. And so they get mad at God. Like a child gets mad when the parent says, no, you can't have candy before dinner. Don't act like a child, my friends. God says no sometimes. God doesn't heal sometimes. And that's God's business. God has a plan. He has a will. And it's hard, and and I'm not saying it's easy. But this is his plan. And Paul didn't just get mad when God said no. He he kept following God, and God then said this. Stick around for what God says next. God said in verse 9 of 2 Corinthians 12, My grace is sufficient for you, Paul. My power is made perfect in your weakness. There was a reason God said no, and when Paul got that, He then could respond this way. He said, I will boast, I will brag all the more gladly of my weakness. In other words, I'll give thanks for this bad thing in my life. 
I'm giving thanks to God for this bad thing in my life because this is forcing me to trust in you more, God. It's forcing me to rely on your strength and not my strength. The power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am, what's the word, church? Content. I'm content, he said, with the weaknesses and the insults and the hardships and the persecutions and the calamities because when I am weak, then I am strong. I love those words in the context of what they're meant to be. So how do you be content? You give thanks. In all circumstances, you give thanks. You thank him for everything and everyone in your life, good or bad. Give thanks. And not only do you give thanks for those things, You give thanks for whose you are. This is hard for many of us. But when you look in the mirror, what do you see? Are you happy? Are you content? Because I think there's a lot of people, based on those statistics I shared with you, that are looking in the mirror and they're not happy with what they see. They feel worthless. That's not who you are. A wise man just reminded me that as a Christian, you are a child of the king. Just let that settle in. You're a child of the king of kings. That's who you are. Nothing can take that away. God has adopted you into his family and you're a child of the king. So the next time you look in the mirror and you don't like what you see, the next time your head is just filled with the stinking thinking, right? That you, the voices from the past, and you say these words: "I am a child of the King." That's whose you are. You're a child of the King. One of my favorite songs these days is has these lyrics: "On my best day, I'm a child of God. On my worst day, I'm a child of God." I just love that because it doesn't matter. In all circumstances, you are a child of God, a child of the king of all kings. And if you're a child of the king, you're not a typical American. Your citizenship is in heaven, and you have everything you need right now to thrive. You can give thanks and be content. That's the key. If you want contentment, give thanks. I'll leave with these I'll finish it with these words from Paul again. Philippians 4. I invite our team to come up for our final song. Paul said in verse 11, not that I'm speaking of being in need. I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. There it is. Again, in any situation, to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstances, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger and abundance and need. In the verse that is often misquoted, but here you find it in the correct context, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I know a lot of athletes that like to put Philippians 4.13 on their shoe, on their headband, under their eyes. And for those that understand the context, I love it. 
but it's not so that you can go and win the game. It's so that you are content. In contentment. I can do all things in Christ who strengthens me. Meaning, no matter what happens to me, it doesn't matter, Paul said, I'm content because I know who I am. I'm a child of the King. And I give thanks to Him for everything. And so I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word today. I pray, Lord, that it would bless us. I thank You, Father, that You care about every one of us individually. You care about this church. You want us to seek You with all our heart. Lord, I pray that from here moving forward we give You thanks more and more and more. And that You would bless us with contentment. That we would be happy and satisfied because we give thanks to You. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.